0: Technically speaking, it's not over, but let's be real here. With the drubbing of our Dolphins and the victories by literally every team the Dolphins needed to lose on Sunday, this season is over. And we're going to get to my grievances, another discussion on Adam Gase, another discussion on Ryan Tannehill, and we'll close this podcast out with my now firmly cemented long-term wish regarding the big picture of the Miami Dolphins, but we're going to do this podcast A little bit differently today for you guys. A little break from the conventional structure of the Sunday slash Monday recap. And I think most of you guys know that I'm not really much of a big drinker, but the way the game played out today, recording this podcast on a Sunday night on the Monday, December the 17th edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, it was the repeated, the unrelenting kicks to the groin that that the game was... Let's just say I'm going to power through this one with my good friend, alcohol. And while I get this thing ready and prepared for myself to drink while I do this podcast with you guys, it's a good time to remind you to follow me on Twitter at Winkful NFL, follow the show at Lockdown Fins Of course, subscribe, rate, and review. And we have some other great podcasts here on the network, the On Podcast Network. But we are going to power through this podcast with a nice adult beverage at my side. And this edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast is brought to you by my bookie, Where you play, you win, you get paid. Unless, of course, you bet on the Miami Dolphins today, then you certainly did not get paid. But I said this episode is powered by a nice adult beverage, so cheers to that. And it is brewed out here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. It is a mere pond pale ale by the fine folks at Deschutes Brewing. And maybe I'm being a little bit too symbolic here. But isn't this Dolphins team kind of like a mere pond? Isn't that what they've been for the better part of two decades now? Basically, since the time that I was able to legally drive a vehicle, since the time I traded in my desire to play Cowboys and Indians with my friends and took an interest in boobs my entire adult life, Mirror Pond, the Spider Man pointing at himself meme, that's the Dolphins of the last two decades. Stuck in this middling purgatory, perpetually in the hunt, but never actually a real threat to actually succeed in that hunt. And what are we hunting? A playoff appearance? It doesn't ever feel like they have a chance to go beyond that let's just go ahead and start out with my grievances for this game today because it's the same shit it's been for the last three years. Number one, a failure to adjust. Doing the same things over and over and over again with the same less than satisfactory results. The same trash defensive scheme that's ruining a pretty good group of core solid players on this team. But let's go ahead and start with the play of the day that really set the tone and just irritated the ever-living hell out of me. As the Dolphins are down 21 to nothing. the second quarter has just begun, and they get a check down on a third and long that Kenyon Drake turns into a fourth and three, getting pretty close to the sticks up the sideline. I think it was exactly a fourth and three. And with a defense incapable of stopping a nosebleed, hanging on for a 10 count on the other side of the football, the Dolphins decide to punt the ball at the opponent's 44-yard line. They net 24 yards rather than trying to cut into a 21-point deficit. Just unbelievable. I I mean, I got to sip another sip of my beer here because what are you doing? Why would you punt that ball? I mean, you're lucky that Minka Fitzpatrick bailed you out with that pick six, and what a play that was, by the way. Minka is a dude that eats the screenplay for breakfast at this point in his early career. But you can point to this team's failure to execute, the team's failure to properly protect. But let's at least go down swinging every once in a while. Adam Gase has got to be the only offensive-minded coach in the league that hasn't caught on to this whole let's-go-for-it-on-fourth-down fad, which really isn't a fad. It's just analytics. It's smart football. And grievance number two is yet another coaching issue. I talked about it all week last week. How would you respond to the indescribably incredible win on Sunday against the Patriots? It was going to take some serious focus to get these guys up and ready to go. And Adam Postgame said these guys were ready to go, but a 21-0 first quarter in which the Vikings outgained Miami 202-16, that says otherwise. A huge red flag there. A big testament to the coaching staff. In the wrong direction. Drink for that one too. And grievance number three is the little things. I talked about it on Twitter. These little details that other teams seem to get right most of the time. Or at least a good chunk of the teams. Some teams don't handle it well. Hell, Hugh Jackson made a habit of terrible decision making when he was up against it in a game. And the Rams seem to be flawless in that regard with the quick counts, understanding situational football, getting the snaps before guys can get off the field. You've seen Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. These guys do it all the time. But the Dolphins are more in that former territory. And I hate to say it, but it starts with Ryan Tannehill, man. I've gone to bat for the guy's physical prowess forever now, and it's still there. It's It was there on Sunday, but to continuously get your play clock down to three or four seconds and give the Vikings that running star on their disguised blitzes, it gives you no chance to check with the defense, do a dummy count, reset things. It just puts you in a crappy play call that you're stuck in and you have to go up against their blitz, a blitz they designed specifically to ruin that play you have called, and they just run it anyway. For instance, you have a play-action call on with a blitz coming in your face, and you see that blitz coming, you don't check out of the play-action, you fake the give to the running back, despite that free rusher coming down on the running back who has to then bail on the play-action and jump in front of the quarterback to try to get there for a last-second pass pro pickup. It's just crap football. Just bad, bad football. And the offensive line got absolutely whipped in this game. Make no mistake about that whatsoever. But Tannehill did so little to mitigate that issue. He compounded it. There are instances where it's just one man starting to come free. Or even when Tannehill's drop is about to be, not yet, but about to be compromised, he finds a way to work himself into a sack. Laramie Tunzel was a great example where he wasn't even at the top of the drop. The rush came in. He tried to flee. But he stepped right into it. And the defensive end just kind of reached around Tunzel and grabbed Tannehill for an easy sack. I mean, there's just no inherent feel for the position. He's far too robotic. And before you say he had no chance, there are other quarterbacks out there that can account for and beat free rusher to the quarterback. There's several in the league. There's a couple in college football. And I have some good information that says the Dolphins actually do love the one guy that is in college football currently. And I'm sure you guys all know who I speak of, my favorite quarterback prospect in this class. And speaking of quarterbacks, we are going to get more into the Ryan Tannehill debate here in just one second. But first, a drink, a refill, and a word from my bookie. Watching football is always fun, but if you find yourself on the outside of the playoff chase, or if you want to make that southeastern Louisiana State versus North Idaho Technical Institute of College Technology game interesting, then you've got to check out my bookie because some of you guys have heard me talking about this for weeks, yet you're still on the sidelines. And whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie where you play, you win, you get paid. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on the roulette table, you can just create a big parlay where you pick three teams to win. And if you hit all three, you could turn 100 bucks into 600 just like that. This time of year, there is so much to bet on—from college basketball and football, the NBA, the NHL, custom props, even esports. You name it, my bookie is the one place that I know will have it, and you'll be happy with them all year long. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. My Bookie has been in business for years; they have great reviews online, and their mobile site is very easy to use. You can sign up this week, and My Bookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. Also make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention and DM, not to mention that they've given away more than $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season alone. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Don't miss out on the best time of year to bet on sports. Log on to MyBookie right now and use promo code LOCKEDON to get 50% deposit bonus on your initial deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDON with MyBookie. You play, you win, you get paid. It's a bit of a downer podcast here on a Monday, December the 17th on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, talking about the 41-14 beatdown at the hands of the Minnesota Vikings. Check that, 41-17. I forgot how many points they scored. I kind of stopped keeping track once the Vikings went over 200 rushing yards on the day against the 30th ranked rushing team in the NFL But this game goes beyond the defense. The defense actually held strong at some point in the second to third quarter and started getting stops. But it was the offense that once again came up short, which has been the case for so long now, especially under this quarterback in these big road games and... I've talked about it on Twitter. I got, of course, dragged up and down by the Tannehill supporters. If I'm positive on Ryan Tannehill, I get taken to task by the Tannehill haters. So there's really no good position to take here. That's why I tell you what I see on Ryan Tannehill. And what I see on Ryan Tannehill is a quarterback with enough sample size now at this juncture of his career in year number seven that he's not going to take a team on the road that might be overmatched. He's not going to elevate that team. He's not going to overcome bad circumstances on that team and win a football game because of his arm yeah maybe he'll get you a win when the defense gets some takeaways and the running game is cranking but he's just he's just doesn't have the it factor we talk about so much and it's such a hard thing to define but I'll try it in this way because he's not a thinking man's quarterback he's not a guy that goes out there and rehearses situations and is prepared for them in the games he's just not that It's all part of a script, and anything that deviates from that plan, it gets him. It gets him off of his game, and it turns him into a bad decision maker. It turns him into an inaccurate quarterback at times. It just is too much on his plate, it seems like, when he comes to the line of scrimmage and he has certain things to get to. And that's why a good defense like the Vikings defense will get to him. Few defenses are better at disguising their intentions pre-snap, and that just destroyed anything Ryan Tannehill wanted to do post-snap. He doesn't identify the coverages, the blitzes that come his way, getting out of a bad play into a good play. He does it at home, but on the road, that stuff is all out the window. The crowd noise, giving the defense a perfect chance to time up the snap count. It's just all so robotic in his preparation, and he's a big-time road game shrinker. That's what he is at this point in his career. You can't argue it. That's just what it is. And speaking of road game shrinkage, oh boy, Adam Gaze's staff and what they've done the last three years, particularly the last 12 games, the 1-11 stretch on the road, it's just not good enough. And the home record, the home stuff, I've talked about the luck factor that goes into that. So many missed kicks, fluky outcomes, a miracle play last week, some kick returns, some punt returns, whatever it is. Stuff that happens that gives the Dolphins a victory. Sure, it looks good on the scoreboard, but in the grand scheme of things, is it sustainable? It's just not good enough. They're 1,000 yardage differential in the last 11 road games. I think it was the graphic they put up on CBS. Something like negative 200 point differential in those road games. They get bamboozled on the road. It's completely embarrassing and you can't stand for it. And that's why the Dolphins are who they are in the national media right now. If you like podcasts, AM radio, TV shows, I'm sure you do if you listen to this podcast, whatever it is, whatever national outlet, I hope you guys are ready for yet another week of being a total afterthought of being a league-wide punch bag because last week, was so damn nice seeing the Dolphins in the headlines for a good thing for once, but that good thing was not destined to last beyond a week because on all the podcasts and radio and TV shows you're going to hear this week and see this week, it's going to be pointing and laughing at the Dolphins' expense. Just be prepared for it. It's coming, and they deserve it at this point. But it isn't just the offense that deserves that backlash from the media. The defense was a total disaster too. And it goes back to even more stubbornness on this coaching staff. I'll have to check the tape later on. I don't recall seeing many if any, odd fronts after it was so successful last week. An odd front is just five down defensive linemen, a bit of a 5-2 look. It's a 3-4 type of scheme. You guys heard me talk about it on the podcast here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network for this Monday show, recapping the Dolphins' 41-17 loss at the Minnesota Vikings, but they didn't go back to the things that made them successful last week against the New England Patriots that held them to 30 carries for 77 rushing yards. They just got gashed and kept going back to the well over and over again. Cornerbacks coming up, selling out to stop the run, and then chasing play action from behind by like 15 yards. Bobby McCain, I'm looking at you. And isn't it crazy how much better at football Jerome Baker is than Kiko Alonso? There is a great back-to-back play sequence that shows you this. I think it was in the second half. I can't recall exactly when. When there's a play, just a regular power run for the Vikings where they go right at Kiko Alonso. He steps off the line of scrimmage invites a block into his body. It gets him spun around. He spins, tries to make a tackle, gets ran over. The very next play, they run the same thing, this time to Jerome Baker's side. He comes in and smashes the lead block in the hole, sends the blocker back, and then disengages and makes the tackle. It's invite versus attack. Baker attacks. Kiko invites. It's night and day. Jerome Baker is by far the best linebacker on this team. And I really don't think this defense as a whole, led by guys like Jerome Baker, Mika Fitzpatrick, I don't think it's that far off. Now, they do have some very obvious needs, like at the second cornerback position, if you assume Minka goes back to safety because probably time to start planning on putting him back at safety as well as playing a big nickel role. But what a bright spot Minka was in that game today, by the way. He had a pretty good size hand in holding Thielen and Diggs to just 66 combined receiving yards, but that's neither here nor there in a big loss like this. The Dolphins do need another linebacker to replace Keiko Alonso. We'll see if they actually do it, and they probably have to remake that front line, save for a few guys. But I don't think this side of the football is far off as the offense might be at this current point in time. And just a few more points here before we get on to the next thing. The one big thing on the next side of the podcast And I suppose you could probably file this under my grievances list earlier in the podcast, but Kalen Balazs is a player. And once again, it took us 15 weeks to expand his package, two injuries to expand his package to anything beyond just the Wildcat. And speaking of the injuries, is Kenyon Drake hurt or not? Because he's returning kicks. He's playing like one snap here or there, but he's too hurt to play. I don't understand that. Let's play both of them at the same time. They both look special and could be a big factor next year if we actually decide to use them. Again, the lack of plays. This team has an epidemic of lack of plays on offense. Every week, it's the same thing. If they could ever get to 70 plays, it'd be a damn miracle. It's just crazy how undefined this team is and who they want to be offensively, defensively. And as a team, a couple more notes here. Jawan James was terrible in that game. He has a few of these games now and then, and Sunday was one of them. Kenyon Drake all of a sudden is bad in pass protection. I don't know what happened to that. He was good coming into the year. He started off the year good, but he looks terrible right now. The wide receivers in general looked bad in this game, but I think it's pretty clear what the future at the position is. Obviously, Devontae Parker is gone. I would get rid of Danny Amendola. I don't think that he has a position in this particular offense. You probably keep... Bryce Butler, and then you draft a mid-round or signed a mid-level free agent type of guy, preferably a big body to go along with Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Kenny Stills, and then Bryce Butler. That'd be my plan. We'll have plenty of podcasts coming up in a few weeks talking about that future, but this is going to be The kind of shift we take as things appear pretty bleak from playoff standpoints in 2018. But I'll tell you what has to happen for Miami to pull off its second miracle this month, as well as the next big thing. We'll do both of those next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkle NFL at Locked On Fins. one's stopping you from doing it, but I don't think playoffs are something we should really be thinking about or talking about all that much, but essentially this is what they are, the road to the playoffs. It's, it's rather bleak. That's the first part of it, but Miami has to win at least these last two games, and one of those games is on the road, so we'll see how that goes, but next week, here are the things the Dolphins have to have happen. They need the Ravens to lose to the Chargers on Saturday night. That has to happen. One of the Colts or Titans have to lose next week. The Titans play the Redskins who are on their fourth string quarterback right now, yet somehow won their game against Jacksonville today. The Colts play the Giants, and then whichever one of those teams loses has to then turn around and beat the other team in Week 17 because the Colts and Titans play in Week 17. Or the Dolphins could win the next two games, and the Patriots could lose to the Bills and Jets. But again, it's not going to happen, which means we can go ahead and start talking about the future. And I'm sure you saw it by now, but if you didn't, there was a video of a very somber Steven Ross leaving the stadium on Sunday, and he just did not look happy. And I don't want to call them reports because it felt like more speculation than anything, but there was speculation in a lot of the beat writers' columns today post-game that talked about some potential off-season change coming. So with that, it's time to do our one big thing here on the Monday, December the seventeenth podcast for the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. One big thing. When a head coach is hired in the NFL, an arbitrary three-year grace period is typically granted for the newcomer. Hell, Hugh Jackson was afforded a third year after winning one game in the first two seasons. One. These three years affords the said coach to stamp the organization with his identity, his calling card, the very thing that made the team hire him to be their head coach. Adam Gaze was hired to bring offense back to a city that has been starred for stars on that side of the ball since the retirement of the greatest slinger of the football this planet has ever seen. We were spoiled to roll right from one star to the next with Ricky Williams, but that star flew way too close to the sun and burned out after just two years. But since 2003, a boring product fueled by late season hope that is ultimately crushed by a superior, truly contending team. Adam Gaze's offenses have ranked 17th, 25th, and now 29th in his three years. It's the one real tangible task that falls under Adam Gaze's umbrella. We know he's not going to pay a lot of attention to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, hell, his star safety quit on the team six weeks ago, and Gaze seemed to know nothing about it. Gaze is not a personnel-acquiring phenom. He hasn't demonstrated a real aptitude for assembling a good coaching staff, so it begs the question, just what the hell is it that you do here at the Miami Dolphins, Adam? I saw the question posed, what if we had Gaze give back some of his offensive power, give away his play calling duties, and just be the head coach? But the answer to that is, what the hell else would he have left to do? Injuries have ravaged the offensive line and quarterback positions for the last three years. It decimated the wide receiver group this year, but in three years, we have plenty of evidence that Gaze continually plays the wrong personnel, goes away from schemes, plays, and plans that work, sends mixed messages about who is to blame or how much confidence he has in certain players like the quarterback. Do I throw it? Do I run it? And he sure as hell comes up short on the accountability side of things more often than not. So what do the Dolphins do next? There appears to be two options in my opinion. Option number one is not a good one. A half rebuild where you maybe strip away some of Gaze's overall power. You fire Mike Tannenbaum. Maybe you fire Chris Greer. You certainly make Matt Burke a scapegoat who deserves it. But then what? What does that look like? A new GM comes in and Adam Gaze is forced upon him. So then in a year when the team stinks once again, we start over then, kick the can down the road. I just don't look at the prospect of that approach ending any way, but in the same fashion we've seen the last three years and the way those have ended under Adam Gaze with embarrassing road losses late in the season. Be it Pittsburgh two years ago, be it at the Chiefs and at the Bills last year, be it today's game in Minnesota, they just are not ready to compete with the big boys and that much is abundantly clear in their road games. Now, this isn't all to say it's all doom and gloom for this Miami Dolphins team going forward. Just because this is in fact a proclamation that I think the team should strip it down from the organizational side of things and start anew, there is talent on this team and a lot of it in some core places. So with that, you go out and find a new GM, a dictator type, one who has everybody in the building answering to him. He can put his own coach in place. He can identify and aggressively pursue the quarterback he wants this offseason, whether it's next offseason, whatever it is, he has the plan in place. And yeah, Ryan Tannehill can come back, but it is time to start seriously considering the future beyond Ryan Tannehill, even if that means as soon as 2019 the Dolphins just need a fresh start, and that doesn't mean tripping down the company's assets and selling them for pennies on the dollar. It means recognizing that you have speed and talent on the offensive side of the ball. It means appreciating the fact that you have one of the game's best left tackles, one of the game's best corners, and recognizing there is some young talent coming back both from the IR and coming back from the roster this season. Like Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, and the budding star defensive tackle, Vincent Taylor. It means you look at the turnarounds of the Bears and the Rams and say that that's exactly what I want. Sustained success is nearly impossible in this league, and we've learned that from the Eagles, Falcons, and plenty of others in 2018. But if sustained success is that difficult, it means that turning things around quickly isn't just doable, it's becoming nearly a regular occurrence. With the talent on this team, better management, and a clearly defined structure that starts at the top, well that's where you start in your pursuit of being the next Rams, or the next Bears. Alright guys, that's going to be my time on this podcast. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL, Follow the show at LockdownFins and keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for the Aftermath edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.